All right, well, good morning. It's good to be back. Um, just wanted to start off um, by thanking you just for giving me and my family the time off to spend with Brianna's family in Florida. We had a wonderful time. It wasn't necessarily relaxing because it's not quite how vacation works, especially if you have two little kids. Um, but it was good, and, but it feels really good to be home and back worshiping with you this morning. And I also want to thank, um, I don't know who did this, but I'm assuming it was one of you who mowed my lawn for us when we were gone. Um, our travel back was not, our time, the day we came back was not the best day. It was very frustrating, long delays, and so it was really a nice blessing um, when we got home and saw that. So I just wanted to, whoever you are, thank you. Um, but so this morning, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the secret to the blessed life. Um, we're going to kind of be continuing our series in Proverbs. We're going to be in Proverbs 3. And these first 12 verses, I think, give us um, really the secret to the blessed life. Um, and all of us would say that we would like to be blessed, right? You know, we'd all would love to be happy, to love to be successful, love for things to be going well in our lives. None of us would say, no, thank you, I, do, I would prefer to not have that. Um, give me the cursed life instead. Blessed life doesn't sound that great. No, all of us would want that. Um, but the question is, well, how do we get it? Um, how do we get blessing from God? Or how do we um, have a successful, happy life? And the world has plenty of ideas for how to do this, right? You can just go to a bookstore and go down the self-help section and look at all of the books that tell you, you know, your best life now, 10 steps to being blessed, or here, my secrets to riches, just follow my steps. Um, you can find any of those kinds of things from the world, but that's what the world says. But what does God's word have to say? And that's what we're going to look at um, this morning. And so this morning, we'll look at really three things. We're going to look at the secret um, then the promise, and then finally the gospel. Um, so if you would, if you're able, if you would stand with me, um, just as we read from God's Word to me in Proverbs 3, the first 12 verses. And it says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of peace, or for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves of those he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would uh, be here this morning. I ask that these would not be my words, but that they would be your words. Uh, would you reveal to us what your word has to say to us? Um, about the blessing that you describe. Uh, I pray that today we would make much of Jesus and that we would all leave this place having beheld you, having seen you, having heard from you. Um, and would you make us more like your son? We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Man, you can be seated. So, 
You know, the question is right away, okay, well, what's, what's the secret? Well, how can we experience a life filled with God's blessings? And the answer really is counterintuitive. It's just, this title really, I guess, is one of those preacher tricks. Um, but point number one is that we should pursue faithfulness, not blessing. That we should pursue faithfulness, not blessing. Now, faithfulness is not very sexy, Okay, faithfulness is not what most people are after, what most people get excited about or really um, want. Bookstores aren't selling out millions and millions of copies of books that are just about how to be faithful, right? They're selling books about how to be wealthy, how to be successful, how to be really happy. But faithfulness is not any of those things. And success really is just another, it may just be a secular word really for blessing or from blessing from God. We have another term for the blessed life, don't we, or for the pursuit of that, and that's kind of the American dream. The idea, right, if we just work hard enough, if we apply ourselves, if we go to school, if we study, if we do what we need to do, then we can get the blessed life. Then we can have the American dream. Then all the things that we want and work for could come true. It's all on our own hands. Now, it might be the American dream, but that's not the dream of the book of Proverbs. That's not what Solomon lays out. And ultimately, as believers, right, we're not called primarily to pursue the American dream. We're called to pursue God's dream, which doesn't always look like what the world says. And the secret for us is to pursue faithfulness. And not just generic faithfulness, but faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to Jesus. And this passage, really, it lays out for us, I think, in all of these 12 verses, what is faithfulness and what does it look like? And I'm going to jump around. We're going to jump around a lot, um, not all throughout the Bible. We're going to jump throughout these 12 verses um, just because in the way I'm going to do it. So I'm going to hit really the first part of most of these verses, and then we'll come back and kind of hit the second part. So you might have to follow with me a little bit. But verse 1 shows us in the beginning, it, it lays out a number of different things that faithfulness is. And the first verse shows us that faithfulness really means obedience. Right away in 3.1, my son, don't forget my teaching, and don't, but let your heart keep my commandments. The passage begins and says, you know, you can't be faithful if you're not being obedient. A faithful son, a faithful child is one who does what their parent tells them to do. If you have a child that is never listening when you tell them what to do, would you say, well, yeah, that's my really faithful, good child. You say, no, this, this kid's disobedient. They're not being faithful. They're not listening to me. You also, it's hard to imagine someone being a faithful Christian without being an obedient Christian. This is why... The verse says, don't forget my teaching. Do what I told you to do. It's not just saying, hey, memorize my word. It's saying, do it. Live it. Don't forget it. Don't, as you're going through your day, for, oh, yeah, God told me not to do that. Remember he told you not to do that. And then also, don't do it. Do, be obedient and let your heart keep my commandments. Be obedient and follow God's commands. This is not just the commands of Solomon to his son saying, hey, remember the advice I gave you? That's really good. You should do it. Ultimately, it's, hey, do what God commanded us to do. So don't forget the commandments of the Lord. So faithfulness means being obedient. But it's not just being obedient to God and that's it. It's also that we are to love God. Faithfulness is not just mindless, robotic obedience. It is also embodied in our full love for God. So verse 3, do not let steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. That we're not supposed to, our, our love is meant to be faithful. It's a love that does not just walk away from God. We don't stop loving God just because things get hard. 
We don't just stop loving God because we got distracted and thought something else seemed more fun in the moment. You know, I spent this week, uh, much of it, on the beach in Florida, or Bree spent much of it on the beach in Florida, and I spent time in the condo in the air conditioning looking at the beach, and then sometimes I went out to the beach every now and then. Uh, but what, one thing you notice when you're at the beach is every single morning, if you get out there before anyone else is there, it looks pretty much like it did the day before. Unless someone else has been there, that sand is really smooth again. All those sand castles that those kids built yesterday are not there anymore. Those big holes that somebody dug up, it is gone. All those footprints, all of the holes from tents and pegs and umbrellas, it is all kind of reset every single day. Why? Because it's sand. And it's the ocean. And the ocean moves that sand back and it resets it every single day. Too often our love for God can be just like that sand, isn't it? It's built on it. Where it just fades in the morning. Or when something else comes in the next wave, the next tide, the next challenge. And then our love for God. It used to be, looked really good, but now here comes this challenge and now it's gone. But that's not faithfulness. Faithful love, steadfast love, stays faithful to the end. And this kind of love is not easy. It's not automatic, right? It takes work. Especially those of you who have been married, maybe you've been married a long time or you were married for a long time. That kind of love and faithfulness takes effort, right? It doesn't just come easily. It is not natural. This is why the rest of verse 3 gives kind of instructions. Okay, don't let steadfast love, faithfulness forsake you. Well, how? By bind them around your neck. Write it on the tablet of your heart. These are active instructions. It is, you are going to have to work at this for love. And the use of, of neck and heart, really, these are, they're kind of describing our, our the totality of our being, right? In our hearts, in your neck, in the way that you're looking, in the way that you are guiding, in the, in the path that you are walking on. You have to make sure, you need to bind your path to love for God. You need to keep writing on your heart, reminding yourself of faithfulness to God. We cannot just let our love for him fade. I know some who would say, or, you know, or, or met many who would say things like, well, you know, I just, I'm not on fire for God like I used to be, which is maybe that's a phrase you have heard or a phrase people like to use. Or, well, I just don't love God like I used to. Well, whenever I hear that, kind of one of my first questions is, well, hey, when was the last time, well, you read your word? You read God's word. When was the last time you read the Bible? When was the last time you prayed? Usually, not always, right? There's exceptions, but usually it's, oh, well, it's been a long time. We go, huh, isn't that kind of funny? Well, I'm not surprised that your love has faded. You haven't listened to his voice and you haven't talked to him in months. So why do you think that you would be filled with love for him? Right? If I just ignored my wife for several weeks, how do you think our marriage would do? Not good. It also wouldn't work. But, right, that, but that's, yet, that's how we treat God sometimes. And then we're surprised because our relationship with God is not great. Faithfulness requires love. It requires active love. But it also requires love from our entire heart and our entire lives. Verse 5, you see, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is a well-known verse. Many of you may have it memorized. You see that it is all of our hearts. The heart, again, it's symbolic. It is the essence of who we are in Scripture. It's the way that it uses it. It is love God with everything. And trust is another word that's used for faith. In all of your heart, in all of your being, in all of your life, 
trust and love God. All of it. And then verse 6, in all of your ways, again, acknowledge Him. Both of those are saying all of your heart and all of your ways. It's using Hebrew poetry, repeating it twice to say every single thing that you have, be faithful to God in it. All of it. Not just some, but in every single day, in every single way, we are to be faithful. We are to live as faithful servants of our King. But some just want to trust Jesus with part of their heart. Or some just want to trust Jesus with some of their ways. Well, we'll, we'll compartmentalize our life and we'll say, well, Jesus, you can have this part of my life because that's good. I want you to be in charge here. But this thing over here, now this one's going to be me. Maybe I'll give it to you down the road. Maybe when I get a little better, get a little more spiritual, become a little more mature. But right now, this is for me, Jesus. But you can have that. I'll cut you a deal. That's often how, and maybe we don't say that aloud, but that is how we sometimes think. Because all, all of our ways is a lot. What, you want me to give Jesus my entire life? You want to let him be in charge of every single thing that I do in all of my ways? How about I just give him my ways when I'm feeling really good? How about just my ways when I wake up and, and I'm in a good mood and I feel like this is a good day to love Jesus? No, no, no. It is we are to love God with all of our hearts and all of our ways all of the time. That's what faithfulness is. Now, it's, much, it's really easy to say that you're a Christian, especially in certain communities like ours. It's really easy to say you're a Christian. It's much harder to actually be a Christian. It's much harder to actually love God with all of your heart and in all of your ways. And in some ways, it's harder to do it in a place where everyone says that they are a Christian. Because then we just all assume that, well, whatever I'm doing when I'm on autopilot is godly. You know, I, I love reading history, and so one of the things that I enjoy reading is early American history or reading preachers who came before and reading their sermons. One of the things that I love um, about the Puritans, so this is just even the American colonies before, you know, Declaration of Independence and Revolutionary War and all of that. One of the things I love about reading those sermons, okay, is this is a community where you've got 100% church attendance. That's pretty good. Okay, 100% of the people in the town, they're going to church. Otherwise, they're, they're going to be in trouble. And all of the laws, they're based on the Bible. Okay, you work on Sunday, you're going to prison. Okay, wow, that, that's pretty good. Seems like a good place. You read those sermons, most of those pastors seem to think that the majority of the people in their churches don't actually know Jesus. When you read them, they just talk over and over about how you guys are all saying that you're Christians, you're even going through the motions and doing all this stuff, but I really don't think that you know Jesus. It's fascinating that often... I think it's not just there, but it's all throughout history. We have people who say that they are believers, but who in all of their ways do not acknowledge that Jesus really is king. Might acknowledge that Jesus is king when you ask them, hey, who's king? Oh, King Jesus. He's king of my life. Okay, well, was he king of your life yesterday? Was he really king of your life five minutes ago? How much of your life is he really king over? Faithfulness. Faithfulness means complete obedience in all of our ways with all of our hearts, all the time. It means Christ reigning over all of it. Faithfulness, it also means that we repent. In verse 7, you know, be not wise. There's a lot in just this verse. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I want to focus just on that last phrase there, turning away from evil. Repentance, there is a big Christian word we like to use, and it's a good one, and I like it, but it's helpful sometimes to pause and remind ourselves, oh yeah, what does that mean? Part of what repentance means, right, isn't just, hey, hey, God, sorry that I did that. It also means turning away from our sin and towards God. It means turning away from the things that we were doing and then not doing it anymore and instead 
doing something that honors Jesus. That's what repentance means. And so we are supposed to, we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to not be wise in our own eyes. And some of that means we don't just assume that we are right when someone confronts us, especially when the Holy Spirit or God confronts us and tells us, hey, I think that might not have been honoring against God. Well, no, no, no. In my eyes, I think it was really good. All of us are really wise in our own eyes. But faithfulness means that we have to turn from our sins. Faithfulness means that we assume we aren't the smartest people in the room, that maybe somebody else can help us be more faithful. Faithfulness it also means living with a fear of the Lord, living as if we really care that God exists, as if we really want to live in a way that honors Him. Faithfulness, it also means we're supposed to be faithful with our money. In verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Again, we don't typically talk about money here, right? But I don't want to ever ignore things in Scripture just because they're hard or we don't like it. Uh, but part of what this tells us is being a faithful follower of God means that we honor Him. Again, all of our heart, all of our ways, that also means with all of our wealth, with all of our money. We don't get to say, well, this is a part of our life that I'm just going to ignore and I don't think I'm going to honor Jesus with. Now, many of you may object just when you read this verse and say, well, honor the Lord with your wealth. You may say, whew, good, that's not me because I don't have any wealth, <laughs> right? Well, it's, it, it's funny. And that's always funny to me because I don't think I've ever met a single person in my entire life who has considered themselves wealthy. I've never met anybody who considers themselves rich, Right? I've lived in big cities in Dallas where he worked in one of the richest parts of Dallas among people who had more money than I could dream of, and many of them didn't really consider themselves wealthy. No one considers themselves wealthy. It's funny. I saw even a survey it showed that only 13% of millionaires believed that they were wealthy. So it's funny how we do that. What do we always do? Well, the person who's really wealthy is really whoever has a little bit more money than me or maybe a lot more money than me. They're really wealthy, but not me. Now, there's people below us who would then consider us wealthy, but, well, they don't really count because we're going off of my standard. Whatever makes me feel not wealthy, that's how we're going to do it. And I don't think that's because our country is just overwhelmed with a spirit of humility. Okay, I think we can all say that that is not why nobody seems to call themselves wealthy. It's because that we are all just really, really humble. Okay, it's not that hard to see that that is not it. I think the reason that we don't do that is because deep down, all of us know, because God's law is written on our hearts, that, well, if I admit that I have wealth, that means I admit that I have a lot and I should probably be sharing it with others. And I don't want to share it with others, so I don't think that I have a lot. I barely have enough for me, so therefore I'm not wealthy, so I'm good. That's, that's how we do it. Because if I have wealth, then I should be giving it to the poor. But if I am poor, people should give it to me and I can hoard it for myself and it's okay. That's how we do that. But here, well, that's why the next part of the verse is there. So we can't wiggle out when it says, honor God with your wealth. And I say, well, don't worry, God, don't have any wealth, but I'll honor you if I ever get some, which I never will because I'll never consider myself wealthy. That's why the next part of the verse says, well, with the first fruits of your produce. With the first fruits of it. Now, part of what this meant for them is the first thing that you get from the harvest. Right? It's not after the harvest is all done. It's not after the harvest season is good and then you go pay your landlord and then you go sell some at market and you see how much you got. It's before you go there, you take some of that and you give that to God. Before you do your budget, 
Before you check your bills, before you go put the down payment on your vacation or your next home or whatever it is you want. Don't wait to see if you have enough money to see if you're going to give some to God. It's no, when you get some money first, you go and give it to God. That's what they were commanded to do. And I think that part of it still applies to us, and that spirit of that principle. This is where the, the idea of tithing comes from, right? Of regularly setting aside part of our money and giving it to God, whether that's giving it to the, our church here, whether that's giving it to the, the many, many wonderful nonprofits and ministries in our town, or whether that's giving it to missionaries overseas or thousands and millions of other wonderful places in God's kingdom. If God, if we're really going to be faithful with our whole lives, that means being faithful with all that we have and with what God gives us. Now, some like to kind of argue then when we get into this of, well, okay, well, what do I have to tithe? Do I have to tithe 10% or do, you know, that's Old Testament, so I don't have to tithe that much. And, well, do I have to tithe, is that before or after taxes? Or does that depend on, like, if my paycheck gets my stuff withheld, then is that okay? Or if it doesn't, then I don't have to, right? All of those questions to me, what are we doing there too? Well, how little do I have to honor God with my money? How much of my money do I have to honor him with it? I just honor him with a little bit or this, like that's, that's what we do. And the answer is all of it. Regardless of how you want to do it or what you want to think about tithing and giving and where and how and numbers and whatever, the primary thing is with, with all of our money, we should be faithful. That when we stand before God one day and we have to give account for every dollar that we ever spent, we can say, God, I, I was faithful with it. I, I used this in a way that honored you. It also means that if, even if you write a big check and send it into God's kingdom, that, that doesn't mean you can do whatever you want with the rest of it. It means we've got to be faithful with all of it. All right, I'll stop there. The last part of this passage of faithfulness is verse 11. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. So we're to be faithful even after we've sinned. Even after we've suffered the consequences of our sin. Even after, you know, God metaphorically sends us to time out. That doesn't mean that it's then time to not be faithful anymore. It doesn't mean because God has disciplined us and maybe God didn't do what we wanted him to do and now we're mad at him that now we can do whatever we want. We're supposed to, if we're really going to be faithful, we have to be faithful even then. And so the whole idea of this really is that we should be pursuing faithfulness. It's kind of ordinary, daily faithfulness to God in every single area of our life. We shouldn't be chasing success or blessing or the American dream or anything more than we chase Jesus. Jesus has to be what we chase. We have to care about Him, about loving Him, about being faithful to Him, about pursuing Him more than we care about anything else in this life. We have to get the order right. We should chase being faithful. So that's number one. Point number two is really the, the reason um, that we don't chase the blessing itself, but it's also kind of the promise is that God will bless the faithful. That God will bless the faithful. And so these blessings don't come from seeking them. They don't come from anything even that we necessarily do. The, these blessings are shown to be as a result of faithfulness. As a result of being obedient, as a result of following after God, then there is the reward of blessings. So now let's go back through and let's look at all of those blessings that kind of came through all of those. The first one you see back in verse 2. So if you, you know, keep God's commands, then you'll be blessed with for the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Saying so live a faithful life and you're going to be blessed with a long life and a life filled with peace. 
you may immediately have an objection and you would be right. You might think of some faithful believers, some people you know that were faithful, that loved God, who did not live a long life or a life that wasn't long enough that were taken too early. I can think of a big one off the top of my head. Um, his name is Jesus. He was only 33 when he died. That's not a very long life by any stretch of the imagination, I would think. And he was betrayed by a friend and executed in a horrible manner. So this obviously isn't a clear guarantee or a promise, but so how do we do that? How do we answer that then? What's the problem? There's either something wrong with God's Word or there's something wrong with our understanding of it. And I'm going to go with there's something wrong with my understanding of it because I don't think there's anything wrong with God's Word. We have to remind ourselves of the genre, right? We're looking at the Proverbs. Okay, so the, the Proverbs are, give us primarily general principles. They don't give us promises. They give us, um, they give us commands and they give us wisdom. And so we have to remember, okay, this is a general principle that if we are obeying God, then generally speaking, all things being equal, we will live a life more filled with peace and a longer life than if we are not obeying God's commands and we're just doing whatever we want. It's the general principle. We also need to remember this wasn't written to you and me, but this was written to the Israelites originally. Now, yes, it's God's Word and it is for us, but we've got to remember who it was written to first. And see, well, what did it mean to them? And does it still mean the same thing to me or is it a little different? Well, God made a covenant with His people in Israel. You can read about it in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, two key chapters. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. They list a lot of blessings and curses for God's people. And God says, I'm going to make a deal with you. I will be your God and you will be my people. And here are the rules. And you follow the rules and here are the blessings that you will get. You don't follow the rules, here are the curses. Well, if you look at that, one of the blessings that you may see, you follow the rules. One of the things you will get is length of days and years and peace will be added to your life. So for them, it was a promise that God was saying, if you do what I've already told you to do, then you will get some of the blessings of the covenant. So that's at least part of it. But there's also another answer. There's another thing that I think is true about this. The blessing of long life is true, but it is not necessarily in the way we might expect. Because God does promise and He will give every believer eternal life. A life with no end of days or years and filled with more peace than we could ever imagine. Well, that sounds much better, doesn't it? And that's a blessing that we can't even begin to imagine. And what we'll see as we look through this, what I want to show you too, is most of these blessings that are talked about here, I don't think are just talking about blessings down here, but they are actually foreshadowing the greatest blessings that we receive through Jesus. And so the, and that comes um, later. And we're also blessed, so look at the next one, verse 4. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now, your translation may have in front of you favor and good reputation or favor and good name, um, which is a, a little bit more clear. The original word there is like navel, so it's kind of, you know, Hebrew's weird. We're trying to translate, well, what did their metaphor mean? Because also heart, they didn't use heart. They used bowels. That was what they thought is their heart, right? So we've got to think through this. Um, but what this does mean is you're finding favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So in God's sight and in man's eyes, you'll, you'll be thought of well. You'll have a good reputation. People will think well of you. People will be excited about that. And so that, that's good, right? That's kind of the idea of a blessed life. Well, it'd be great if people would look at me and think, man, that person's got it together. Oh, they're doing well. well that's not exactly what this means. 
I mean, it's good to have a great reputation, a great name with people, but it's much, much better to have a good reputation and favor with God. This is where it starts. You, you will have favor and good success in the sight of God. Look, I don't care what my neighbors or what anybody else thinks about me. I care what God thinks about me. And if God is thinking well, or if we have favor with God, that is even greater. And through Jesus Christ, through His sacrificial death on the cross, we have found favor with God. Because of what Jesus did for us, when God looks at us, He does not just see us, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, He doesn't see us as sinners, doesn't see us as people who are just wildly unfaithful. He sees us through the blood of Jesus as those who have been justified and sanctified and who are righteous and who have favor with Him. Not because of us, but because of what Jesus has done. It also means when, with the king of the cosmos, when the almighty God thinks of us, he thinks of us well. He gets a smile on his face, not because we're so amazing, but because through Jesus we have favor with God. We have the, and what an incredible blessing that is, that the God of the world would hear us when we pray. That's a blessing. Faithful were also blessed with straight paths in verse 6, and he will make your path straight. And the path is a metaphor for life, right? The, the, the road that we are traveling down, or we come into crossroads, we're trying to make decisions, right? Even now, these are phrases that we use a lot. Well, this is saying that if we are faithful with our entire being, God will make our paths straight. It means what I think is that he guides us on the way. He takes care of difficulties, I often wonder sometimes of how much has God really straightened my path? And I don't mean that in a sense of I don't think that he is. I mean it in a sense of I wonder how much he has straightened my path in ways that I don't even notice, in ways that I've never seen. The, the things that God has kept from me, the, the roadblocks, the bad decisions I almost made that he helped me not make, all of those things. I wonder how much he does that. It is the mere fact that any of us are alive today is because God has allowed it and it's his grace. Now, this doesn't mean that our lives are going to be easy or smooth. Remember in college, there was um, one man in a group who would always, every single time it was prayer requests, he would say, yeah, I just want to pray for smoothness. Just pray that God would make my life smooth. Just no difficulty. I want it to be smooth. We just all kind of, well, I mean, pray for that man, but I don't think that's how that works. Don't think he's going to do that, right? That's not what this means. This is not saying, hey, be really faithful and God will make your life smooth and your path's easy and no one will bother you. You won't have any problems and life will be great. Well, that, that's not it. But what it does mean is that the path of life is going to be significantly more smooth if you have God going ahead of you making it straight than if you are running away from God and he is having to chase you down. Your life will be better that way, God. What a blessing. And one of the ways God makes our path straight is by sending us the Holy Spirit and by sending us the Word of God. That's what an incredible blessing it is. We, we've already heard God's word, God, the voice of God audibly this morning. Not me and what I'm saying now, but when we stand and we read this, why do we do that? Because this is the Word of God. And we get it. We get to read it. You can buy as many copies of this book as you want. You can hear it anytime you want. You can listen and see what does God have to say. And we're born now. We weren't born in Solomon's day when he didn't have as much of the Bible as we do. He had less of God's voice. We have more of God's voice than any believer throughout history has lived before us. And yet, what do we do? Well, I'm kind of bored. Don't know if I'm going to listen to God today. We also have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't come until Pentecost. That's something we forget. 
David, Solomon, many of the prophets, they, in some sense, seems like they got the Holy Spirit. Most people did not. The average believer didn't get the Spirit of God living inside of them, guiding them, helping them when they come to a decision, Lord, what should I do? And God speaks and God helps and God guides. Realize what a blessing that is. The Holy Spirit, if you are a believer, lives inside of you. That when you sin, when you start making a bad decision, He corrects you and He convicts you. That is a blessing. That is something that we take for granted all the time. You know, we want to be Pentecostal, so I don't want to, I'm just going to ignore the Holy Spirit then. Well, you're also then, you're just ignoring one of the greatest blessings that God has given you. That's a blessing we take for granted every day. Another blessing God gives, verse 8, is healing. Verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Repenting from sin. And again, we need to see this is paired with repenting and turning from sin. So there's a bunch of ways to take this. One of the ways that this is misinterpreted is to say, well, healing's available to all believers who just believe enough. The only reason you're sick, the only reason you got cancer, the only reason you got COVID is because if you just had more faith, that wouldn't have happened. And if you just prayed and you really believed enough, then you would be healed from everything. That is such a profound distortion. I don't think that's what this is saying, but Part of what I think this is saying is that, well, sin is actually bad for our bodies. Right? I think just as sin and not following God's ways and not following His path is bad for our souls, I think it's also not bad or it is bad for our physical bodies. Obviously in a lesser extent, but I think that's, that's part of it. But I also think this is just speaking about the refreshment and the gifts that God blesses us with. And the greatest way this is fulfilled Right is an eternal life when Jesus comes again and the resurrection. When all of us will be refreshed down to our bones, even glorious bodies and changed, and however that will be, whatever that will look like in the last healing. There'll be no more sickness, no more pain, no more cancer scares, no more injections, no more pain meds. Why? Because we will be healed. What a blessing. Jesus also will bless the faithful with wealth. Verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Again, this is a place the prosperity gospel distorts or misunderstands how the Proverbs works. God isn't making a deal with us today that, hey, cut me a check now and then I'm going to cut you a bigger check later. It's not a kind of weird Ponzi scheme with God. That's not what he's doing. Again, we got to remember, well, God made a covenant with Israel and he did tell them, hey, if you don't honor me, then when it comes harvest time, don't be surprised if you don't have many crops because that's going to be a curse. And that's going to be a sign to you. You need to repent and get right with me. Okay, but that was for them. That's not how it, it works for us anymore because it was fulfilled by Jesus. But so we don't give to God. We don't drop money in the offering box or give to the poor because we want God to give us even more money. But part of it, or part of the way to think about this too is look at the, kind of think of the inverse of this verse. So if tithing and being faithful to God with our money, if honoring Him with our wealth brings blessing, what is the opposite of that? It means if I'm not honoring God with my wealth, maybe I shouldn't be surprised if God doesn't honor me with more wealth. Let me kind of say it another way. Don't be surprised if you never give God any of your money if He doesn't give you any more to not honor Him with. Because why would He do that? Now, He might. And, and he does in his graciousness. But that, that's kind of part of what I think this means. What this does mean, too, is that God will bless the faithful and he will care for them. That if we trust God with our money, he will provide for us. He will make ends meet. 
It might not come the way that we wish that it would. It might not come in getting the promotion or getting the biggest job, but it may come for in other believers giving to us. It may come from the church providing for us. And ultimately, this financial blessing is revealed at the end. At the end, when Jesus comes again, the faithful will be given crowns and riches and rewards beyond our imagination. We get hints of that, but we don't get a lot of saying, well, what does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) But we see over and over in God's kingdom that that's where the true eternal reward is. And the reward that we get there from Jesus for our faithfulness doesn't diminish. It's not dependent on oil prices. It's not boom and bust. There's no COVID or government is going to be able to take that away from us. The reward, the eternal reward and wealth that comes from Jesus at the end will be better than anything that we could have gotten here from holding on tight with our hands. And the last blessing we see in verse 12 is for God reproves him who he loves and is a father in whom the son delights. We should be faithful even when God disciplines us. Why? Well, because He loves us. Part of the biggest blessing that the faithful get is they get to be in the family of God. This is one of the pictures that we have of the gospel that Paul uses over and over, that we are adopted into the family of God because of the blood of Jesus. That's why we are called sons and daughters and why we are supposed to refer to ourselves as brothers and sisters because we are all in the same family. We've been adopted by the same good Father who loves us, who loves me and who loves you. And what a blessing it is to have a good parent. Some of you have had really good parents. I mean, just one really good parent. Some of you, maybe you were blessed enough to have two really wonderful parents. And you know how wonderful and great it is that even when you think of that person, your heart just swells up with joy. Or maybe you long and you miss them because they were so wonderful and good. Some of you had horrible parents. Some of you may have had even horrible fathers who left deep and dark wounds on your soul. Now, it hurts you enough that even when you hear things like, well, God is a father who loves and delights in us, that's hard for you to imagine because you can't get past your earthly father. And many of us are somewhere in the middle, but all of us can acknowledge that having a good father who delights and who loves us is a blessing. And that's what we have in God. A Father who delights in us. I I love that word. It's not just that God puts up with us. It's not that God has other favorite children and we just kind of were the runt of the litter. He let us in and he doesn't really know how we got there, which is he could get rid of us. But, you know, once you adopt somebody, that's it. You can't get rid of them. No, God delights in you. God who loves when we pray who loves us, who cares for us. It's important for us to remember these blessings too. All of these blessings, they don't come from ourselves, from our own work, and they often don't even come how we might wish. These blessings all come from God, and they are gifts. And the picture ultimately that we see in all of this is that these are blessings that we get from a Father who loves us. The way to the blessed life is by having a Father who loves you and who blesses you. It comes from loving God, from pursuing Him, from pursuing faithfulness, and then letting Him take care of everything else. So point number three is we're kind of coming to the end. It's just an important reminder of, of the gospel is that God is faithful even when we are faithless. God is faithful even when we are faithless. The trap that we constantly fall into 
unbeliever or even believers still fall into this, is that we think that we need to earn grace. We think that we need to earn our salvation. Or then we think, well, I earned it, now I need to keep it. And so to keep it, I got to make sure that I'm still being really good. I got to work really hard. I got to do all these things. Well, it says that I've got to do all this stuff, so I'm going I'm to grit my teeth and do even harder today. That if I can just be faithful enough, maybe then God will bless me. Well, that's not the message of Jesus. Right, God had to send Jesus down to earth to save us, to live a perfect life, and then to die on the cross, to, to redeem us from our sins, not because we were so awesome, but because we were all faithless. Because from Adam at the very beginning all the way till now, what do we do? Over and over and over, we choose sin. We choose rebellion. Yet, salvation and all of the blessings that come with it in eternal life are available to all, not because we are so faithful and so awesome, but because we can be adopted into the family of God through the blood of Jesus. And that salvation is available to everyone. You haven't missed out on the blessed life. It's not too late to experience salvation and deliverance. You might tell yourself, well, I'm too faithless. You know, I don't think I could be a Christian. I wouldn't be a very good one. You might, I'd probably be the worst Christian. Or maybe you are a Christian and you feel like the worst Christian some days. Paul himself called himself the chief of sinners. So he identifies with that. But our salvation does not rest on our own work. It rests on the work of Jesus on the cross. He did what we could not do. He died for our salvation because we could not. Salvation is a gift that we receive. It is not something that we earn. It is not a reward for being awesome. It is a gift that we get because God is awesome. And all of the blessings we've talked about this morning are just kind of cherries on top of the Salvation Sunday that just are things we get because God showers us with His love. And the beauty of these blessings of God is that they are not deserved. We do not deserve them. The blessed life ultimately doesn't come because we are amazing, but because God is. If the blessings of God really only came to the people who were the most faithful or the most awesome, nobody would get them. Peter wouldn't be the chief apostle. Okay, the apostle who denied Jesus three times while he's going through a sham trial about to be executed. The same Peter who's always running his mouth. The same Peter who tried to fight the people when they were arresting Jesus. Okay, he wouldn't be the chief apostle. The same Peter who even after he was an apostle, Paul had to rebuke him because he was acting improperly, acting faithless, yet God still blessed him. Thomas wouldn't have gotten a second chance after still doubting when Jesus was there in front of him saying, Thomas, I'm alive. And he's like, ah, I don't know, man. Come closer. Let me inspect this. Yeah, what does God, God doesn't throw him away. He still equips him. King David wouldn't be called a man after God's own heart even after all of his faithfulness and all of his horrible sins. Why is he called that? Well, not because he's so great and so faithful, but because God is. Faithfulness, ultimately, it's not about perfect holiness. I think faithfulness is about a tenacity and a refusal to give up on Jesus. My favorite Proverbs is uh, Proverbs twenty four sixteen. It says, the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. Where righteousness and faithfulness isn't about not falling. It's not ultimately about not sinning. 
It's not ultimately about, well, I'm really good, and today I 100% gave Jesus 100% of my life, and that was it. Faithfulness is about, well, I didn't give Jesus all of my life about 77 times today, but you know what? I'm going to keep trying because Jesus is worth it, and I want to be faithful. Even as we chase Jesus, even after we fail, we chase Jesus. Even after we're faithless, we chase Jesus. Even after we've skipped church too long, we chase Jesus. Even after we can't remember the last time we read our Bibles, we chase Jesus. Even after I haven't prayed in far too long, we chase Jesus. Even after heartbreak and great failure, even after we relapsed or we did that thing that we promised we would never do again, and here we are once again, we still get up and we chase Jesus. That's what faithfulness is. It's a refusal to stop chasing and resting in the work of Jesus. Our job as believers is just to pursue Jesus. We're not meant to try and chase success or all of the things of the world. We just chase Jesus and let God take care of everything else. Because He will, and He will do a better job than you, and He can. And many of these blessings may not come in this life. Almost all of the 12 apostles were killed, beheaded, torn apart, stoned, crucified, yet they were blessed, blessed in ways that we can only begin to imagine, not by the world's standards, but by God's. And the blessings that those men experience now and and the blessings we will experience in the kingdom to come dwarf anything that the world could offer. So what's the secret to the blessed life? The secret is to just chase Jesus. Be faithful to Jesus. Don't give up even when you're faithless because God is faithful even when we are faithless. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I ask that you would, Lord, you would just encourage us um, Lord, so often we are faithless. All of us in this room will be faithless again before this day is done. All of us will, will sin and will we'll keep things from you. We will do things that we shouldn't do. We will violate your commands. We will love things that we shouldn't. We will respond in ways that we shouldn't do. But Lord, I ask that you would just remind us of your faithful, steadfast love. Your love that does not give up on us. Your love that even as we spit in your face, you, you wrap us tight. Lord, would you help us to be people who are faithful? People who even after we fall seven times will get back up and keep chasing you. And ultimately, Lord, we chase you not just because of the blessings that we bring, but because you alone are worth it pray that you would do this, that you would help us because we need you, Lord. If we tried to do this on our own, we would fail. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we continue um, to worship our God in song. <laughs> I just want to, before I read the benediction, remind you or not remind you, let you know as well, our search team has been um, working on finding a family pastor, and so there is a potential candidate who is going to be coming to visit us in two weeks, so it'll be August, the Sunday of August the 1st, 
Um, so as we get closer, have more details about um, how and when you can meet them. But so just want to put that, um, you know, put that on your calendar and begin um, praying, getting excited. His name is Rob Gervin. Um, I can't remember his wife's name. I should have written that down. Um, and they have a young child as well who will be here. Um, and then elders, again, we're going to have a short meeting right after the service, um, which is now. But sorry, benediction is from the end of Jude. And it says, now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and who presents us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God bless you, church family. Go in peace.